What a beautiful way to start the service today. And uh, as I think about this weekend and uh, starting out this beautiful summer, there's just been so, so many wonderful ways to look at magnifying Christ as we go through. This past week was a great blessing to me. I had the chance of celebrating and officiating two weddings. Well, at the same time, we were celebrating an anniversary for a couple I married a couple of years ago. That happens to be Jim and Marla. And now, for those of you who happen to be down in Columbus, Indiana with us just last evening for the wedding, I promise I did actually change out the manuscript. So you're not all getting the wedding message twice in two days. But I'll tell you, as a couple goes through getting ready for marriage, sometimes they walk through some trials and suffering. And truthfully, I would want that to happen for a couple so that they can learn and grow in the process even before the day of their marriage and to be able to find that hope for everyday life. Now, for all of us through these past five months, I mean, we've been studying hope in everyday suffering through a look at 1 Peter. I mean, we can find hope even in our political environment when the things around us maybe don't match what we might like. Uh, There's hope in our homes, in our marriages, even when we face huge challenges. And there's hope in our work and our daily life. Even if our Christianity is facing pushback from those around us who don't agree with what God's Word would say. But we are all called to follow our Master and King, Jesus Christ. And if we suffer for what is right, we can rejoice because we know that we're able to glorify God in the middle of the suffering. And so with all of that in mind, we can know that our hope is not just that we might survive in times of trials, but that we might thrive. And so that we might find hope for fruitful service. So that's why now, here, over the next seven weeks, we're going to be unpacking the practical ways that we can choose to find hope through growing in characteristics that Peter charges us to grow in through the start of his second letter. Now, each week, we're going to look at 2 Peter chapter 1, and specifically verses 5 through 7. So yes, we're going to go over that seven different times. We're going to touch on this, but each time a little different. And then we're going to define and explore the biblical examples of men and women who have exemplified the characteristics that Peter is describing here. So for example, as we seek to grow in love, we'll be looking at the example of love that we find in Ruth's life. Or if we want to find the example of moral excellence, we'll take a look at the story of Daniel as he was in Babylonian exile. But this is also why we need seven weeks to go through this, right? because there's not enough coffee out in that room for me to cover all of this in just one sermon, and so we're going to spread it out over seven weeks. But let's look at what it is that uh, Peter's been teaching us. As a reminder, Peter has been writing to the believers in the church who had been scattered across the land due to the persecution of Emperor Nero. And Peter's heart for his friends would have been filled with an urgency to share the truth as he knew that a cruel death at the hands of Nero was likely near for him. And so Peter starts his second letter by greeting the church and reminding us that we have all that we need in God's word, saying that seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Now, this is one of the verses that that 
it brings me back to every time that I go to when I need to be reminded that God has the truths that we need for hope in everyday life. Because he's given us all that we need for life and godliness. And then from here, Peter's going to go on to give us hope that we might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of this world. In other words, he's saying there is hope that we can stand up to the false teaching, that we can stand up for God's truth, even in a world that's attempting to bully us and take us in directions that God's word would not call us to go. But notice how Peter describes where this false, teach, this false teaching, where it comes from, that it can reach out and touch our lives. He says that it comes from the corruption that is in the world by lust. Those last two words tell a story. By lust, meaning a desire of anything more than we desire godliness. So we ask, how can we have hope for fruitful service if we're still battling our desires? How can we have hope for fruitful service if we're allowing the corruption of the world to influence us? Well, to answer this, Peter tells us, and now this is the central passage that we're going to be focusing on over the coming weeks. He says, now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. In your moral excellence, knowledge. In your knowledge, self-control. In your self-control, perseverance. In your perseverance, godliness. In your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. And so in studying these verses together over the next seven weeks, we're going to answer the same basic question seven different times. We're going to ask, what does it look like to make every effort to add to your saving faith blank? I want you to keep that phrase in mind as we walk through this series. Because Peter helps us to fill in the blank when when he begins by saying, for this very reason. For which you then have to ask, what reason is that? For this very reason. This very reason is the truth of our salvation. Pointing back to where Peter has said, for by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. In other words, meaning those of us who have placed our faith in Christ alone can stand upon the assurance of our salvation to walk strong in our faith in the face of a corrupt world. And that's what we're going to be talking about. But before I get too far, I do want to acknowledge that there may be some of us here today who have not yet chosen to place their faith in Jesus Christ. And the last thing that I would want you to walk away from today is saying that here's the list, here's the to-do list that Rod is giving us so that I might be saved. That's not what this is talking about. That's not what Peter is writing here. Peter is writing to us about a hope for fruitful service in response to the work of Christ in our lives because we have the assurance of salvation. And so if you're with, you, with us today and you do have questions about Christ and what it means to be saved, what it takes to be saved, we want to talk to you about those questions. But in the meantime, I'd ask you to listen and come along today to hear the blessings that come from those precious and magnificent promises. So he said, now for this reason. And then Peter continues on calling us, applying all diligence Thus, living the Christian life is not about one sitting back and simply waiting for the heavenly gates to open up for you. 
God is the one who has done everything necessary for our salvation, yet God then calls us to respond by applying all diligence. Contradiction? No. In fact, it's even consistent with Paul's teaching to the Philippians when he said, So then, my brethren, just as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation. Not work for your salvation, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We're called to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, or as Peter has said, to apply all diligence. The, apl- the applying implies that we're to make a strong effort to supply something which is necessary. Not, again, not necessary for our salvation, but in parallel to our salvation and in response to our salvation in order that we can live our lives with godliness. And then he finishes by saying to do so with all diligence. This is the fear and trembling part. Our diligence demonstrates that we're seeking an effort with zeal and eagerness. And as I said, we'll then seek to walk the next seven weeks to go over what applying all diligence means. And in other words, we're going to answer the question, making every effort to add to your saving faith blank. Okay? Now today we're going to begin, we're going to begin with knowledge. Now, if you think back to the way the verse was written, you're going, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, you're skipping moral excellence, you don't get to do that. Well, if you've been with us at faith long enough, you know we're not going to skip over words in the Bible just because maybe I don't want to preach them today, or maybe because I like to do, I want to do something else. I promise we're going to come back and speak on moral excellence. In fact, Pastor Viers is preaching on moral excellence over at Faith East today, well, Faith West, and here we're talking about knowledge. I promise we'll get there. That just means you need to be here every week for the next seven weeks to catch all of these in the sermon series, right? Good call. I like it. So for today, we'll focus on knowledge, and that is knowledge that leads to fruitful service. When we all come to know Christ, I think we can all agree that we don't all approach that moment at a point with the same type or even the same level of knowledge. Some are children who beautifully come to know Christ through the teaching and the example of their parents. So they have a certain level of knowledge. Some come as adults who have read the Bible through their lives and know the facts about Jesus, but it took more than facts. And then they came to see the beauty of the gospel for their lives so that they might choose Christ. That's another type and level of knowledge. And then others may come by the ideas of the world, which they're just discovering had been lying to them all along, and now they have a different knowledge approaching this. But if that's what we were talking today, we wouldn't need a sermon, we'd need a theology class. And so this, but we've got to be thankful. This is not the whole of what Peter is describing. And so then applying all diligence to knowledge If it were what I just described, that would all be about gaining knowledge for ourselves and not as a means of fruitful service. And so as we speak of knowledge today, I want you also to be thinking about the word wisdom. I'm going to use those interchangeably throughout, and I want you to be specifically considering what it looks like to skillfully and diligently apply the divine truths that have been granted to us 
for everything pertaining to life and godliness. To give you a simple way to take away on this, we see it. We're going to use this definition. Knowledge equals the skillful application of the divine truths for life and godliness. And of course, I know that you're all in the edge of, you're, you're on the edge of your seats waiting to say, okay, now, how's Pastor Rod going to give us all the examples from his own life to tell us how he has applied diligently the divine truths for life and godliness? Because that's what we need. We need to hear how Rod's done this, right? No, that would not go very well. I'd much, fa- I'd much far rather seek the divine truths and the Word of God, which can help us all to grow in applying all diligence. And I'm thankful that God's Word has much to say on this. So I didn't have to use my own examples of life throughout, but we have much in God's Word to study. So to focus today, we're going to look at the example of Solomon. Okay, We're going to look at Solomon and explore how his desire to make every effort to seek knowledge impacted him impacted his kingdom, and impacted others around him. And as such, we're going to be jumping back into the Old Testament and specifically into the book of First Kings, where we will explore the knowledge that leads to fruitful service, and we're going to find four truths from Solomon's life about making every effort to add to your saving faith, knowledge. Now, the first truth from the life of Solomon, which we need to know, We need to know where did he seek his knowledge. Solomon had grown up under the tutelage of his father, King David. He'd been taught by likely the best tutors of the land and even watched his father to seek out trusted advisors in how to rule Israel. But he also saw his father's relationship with the Lord. And as such, Solomon chose to ask God for wisdom. And when I use the terms wisdom and knowledge in this context, remember, I'm referring to the same things. Biblical wisdom is defined as the practical skills associated with understanding and living a successful life, or to use our definition, the skillful application of the divine truths for life and godliness. And I think we all have to admit that this is not a natural trait that we all walk into life with. So then we, how do we ask God for wisdom? Well, let's look to the example of Solomon to see how that might then look for us. At a time when Solomon was offering sacrifices before the Lord, the Lord came to him a dream, and he said to him, Ask what you wish, and I will give it to you. The Lord had opened the door, and Solomon stepped through. Let's see how he stepped through. So if you will, join me, and we're going to read from 1 Kings chapter 3, Just a few verses that describe Solomon's response. It says, Then Solomon said, You, referring to God, you have shown great loving kindness to your servant David, my father, according as he walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart towards you. And you have reserved for him this great loving kindness that you've given him a son to sit on his throne. As it is this day, now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, yet I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. Your servant is in the midst of your people, which you have chosen, a great people who are too many to be numbered or counted. So give your servant an understanding heart 
to judge your people, to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? That was the prayer of Solomon as he walked in. The Lord had opened the door for Solomon, and he opens it for us too. And so then how should we step through to ask God for wisdom? Well, it begins by approaching God with humility. Solomon was the anointed king of Israel. He was seated on his father's throne. He was set up and exalted, and yet he did not approach God proudly. He acknowledged who he was in relation to God. Then Solomon said, You've shown great love and kindness to your servant who? David, my father. Solomon's thanksgiving had nothing to do with himself. Solomon gave thanks for God's faithfulness, and then Solomon also clearly acknowledged his own place. He said, Now, O Lord, my God, you've made your servant king in the place of my father David, yet I'm but a little child. I do not know how to go in, go out, or come in. See, God is seen as Lord. Solomon sees himself not as the rightful king, but as a servant of the Lord. And not only as a servant, but he also sees his need for growth before God. He describes himself as a little child. Remember, Solomon was 20 years old when he anointed when he was anointed king. How many of you around here, when you were 20 years old, were describing yourself as a little child before your parents? I don't think so. So then what does this first step look like? To make every effort, to add to your saving faith, knowledge, what does it look like for us? Well, it begins even by ensuring that we have come to a saving faith. Because Jesus said in Matthew 18, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like little children, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. We cannot stand on our own pride thinking that we have the knowledge that we need, that we can figure these things out on our own. We must become like little children, trusting in the teaching of the Father to receive the gift of salvation. And then we must continue to approach God with humility as we seek to continue to grow in knowledge. And that humility is not just simply about seeing ourselves as little children, but it's although that is an appropriate attitude, it's even more about walking in humility before our Creator God. Remember what it says at the beginning of Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And when we see fear in this context, I don't want us to be thinking fright, the types of things that we might run from in horror, but rather here, this fear is the awe and wonder of knowing God and recognizing the perfection, the perfection of His omniscience, the all-knowing God that He is our source of truth. We have so much to learn as we make every effort to add knowledge in this way. Look at how Proverbs 2 then describes this sequence. It says, Then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God, for the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. And so when God opens our eyes in salvation and we can see the beauty of His attributes, as we get a glimpse of His glory... There's no other response 
than to discern the fear of the Lord. Are you there? Is that how you see God today? And as we make every effort to ask God for wisdom, does it begin with a discernment that brings awe and wonder about our God? Because without that, will you truly value the wisdom which God offers? If I don't see him for who he truly is, will I value the knowledge that we can only get from God? Solomon saw all that God had done for his father and it caused him to seek God's wisdom. Do we see all that God has done for us? Or is it clouded by, as Peter describes, the corruption of this world by lust? To make every effort to seek the knowledge of God, consider taking this first step again in humility and to find a fear of the Lord that comes from discerning what the attributes of God mean for you. What does it mean for you and your life that God is sovereign? What does it mean for you and your life that God is merciful? What does it mean for you and your life that God is holy? And then when we humbly fear the Lord, we can trust what his word says. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. And as such, then, we seek God as the source of wisdom. Solomon recognized the gravity of what it meant to be the anointed king, the decisions that he would make, the impact that he would have on others' lives, and as such, he asked, so give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people and discern between good and evil. He recognized his need for knowledge, and he knew there was only one place to look for the truth. Seek God's help. And we will see how that's lived out in a few moments for Solomon. But for now, we have to ask ourselves, are you seeking God's wisdom as your source of truth and wisdom? What are the places where we go to look for knowledge? Do we only look within ourselves? I simply need to be true to me. Are we trying to be our own source of knowledge? Or do you find your knowledge simply in education? The facts and figures that you've been taught. The models of thinking on how we should interpret those facts. Or is it just simply out there on the internet? Did you find that great web page? Who's the influencer that you're listening to? There's got to be a YouTube channel that's going to give me all that I need, right? Or will you ask God? Will you ask God for wisdom and knowledge. Think about our phrase for today, making every effort to add to your saving faith knowledge. As we think about where, we also have to think about how. It takes effort, and effort takes time. So one of the best ways to be able to ask yourself is, how are you using your time to seek God's wisdom? Okay. What does your time say about the effort that you're making? Does it simply say that you're comfortable where you are? That I'm okay if I don't add any further knowledge? Does your time say that you're seeking God? Or does it say that I love the world? How would I know? Well, let's go back to a challenge I gave you several weeks ago. How many days of the week are you in God's Word? We're going to add two to that number, right? 
How are we doing on that? I won't add any more today, but I would challenge you to keep moving on that. But this is more than just about devotionals in God's Word. What about our decision-making? What about our decision-making says that we are choosing the skillful application of divine truths? When you have a choice before you, what principles of God's Word are you looking to? And if you say, I don't know the Bible well enough to be able to make those kind of decisions, to apply it where I need it, then I'd be saying, where are you asking for help? Are you coming to the church? Are you part of a faith group? Are you part of a Bible study? Do you have others in your life who will help you be accountable to choosing God's Word as your source of truth? It says, making every effort to add to our saving faith knowledge. And that begins by, and starts by asking God. And then our next point. Our next point that helps us to know how well we're doing in seeking to add knowledge and wisdom, we can see because wisdom, wise decision, leads to blessing for you and for others. God's blessing for you comes because of your choices and how they are pleasing to God. 1 Kings 3.10 says it was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked for this thing as compared to more personal or selfish desires. He could have asked for long life. He could have asked for wealth. He could have asked for victory over his enemies, but he asked for none of those. He asked for wisdom and discernment, and it pleased God. So we have to ask ourselves, will you allow God to bless you if he chooses to bless you because of your choice. Solomon's wise choice brought blessing for not only himself and the nation, but it brought blessing on the others upon, for how he applied his wisdom. I want to talk a little bit about the story that kind of fills out the rest of 1 Kings chapter 3. You may be familiar with it. It talks about when there were two women who came before the king They had each given birth about the same time, and then it happened some nights later that one of their two sons died. But these two women came to the king, both claiming that the son was there. And so Solomon listened, and then he skillfully applied his knowledge. Now, it's important for us to see the sequence that God's Word describes here, because it would be wise for us to follow suit in the same way. First, we have to listen before we answer. Solomon was the wisest man walking on the face of the earth, and yet he waited and he listened. Why? Because he who gives an answer before he hears, it's folly and shame to him. What do we do when conflicts come to us? Parents, when your children come to you in conflict, do we already know the answer? We've got it figured out. By the time they've already said, but mom, friends, when another person comes to you again and again with your problems, do you dismiss it right from the start because you know what their problem is? Or maybe it's somebody that you haven't even met before and you look at them and you say, I've got this person figured out just by looking. In our own wisdom, do we choose to make assumptions and base our response or our reaction on what we think we know, or are we ready to listen, making every effort to grow in knowledge and wisdom so that we might seek to understand the heart? 
You see, Solomon didn't stop at the face of the problem. He gave a command. Divide the living child in two and give half to the one and half to the other. Now, reading that, that seems like Solomon's uh, response is relatively harsh. But when we see the purpose of the statement, we can see how he was seeking to understand the hearts of these women. Because the words that were being presented made them both seem genuine. There was no way at that point to be able to determine who was the mother and who was lying. And so his words, because both things could not be true, by his command, the hearts of both women were revealed. One revealed a sacrificial heart. The other, a deceptive, selfish heart. Because in our wisdom, even this is not something that we can know on our own. Jeremiah says, The heart is more deceitful than all else and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I, the Lord, test the mind. Even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds, we must ask God. Over and over again, we must ask God's wisdom to be able to discern the heart behind a request or a response. And thus, making every effort means taking the time to ask the questions to allow God to show us the heart of the issue, and then being willing to see where those answers will take me. Because if I seek to understand the heart, we may choose to teach our children rather than to scold them. We may choose to serve our friend rather than to walk away in bitterness. You see, making every effort to seek wise decisions will be a blessing to others as well as when we choose to do what is right over compromising for ease. We've got to admit it. There were easier decisions for Solomon to make on that day. Two mothers, one child. I don't know which one's the actual mother. They live together anyway. Joint custody. You get the child for a week, you get the child for the next week. One, would that have been right? No. Would that have been a blessing to the son as he grows up? No. But he was able to discern the heart, and so then the king was able to say, give the first woman the living child, and by no means kill him, for she is his mother. You see, when I'm making a decision as a, pa- as a parent, is it just the answer that will bring me the quiet and peace that I need so I can get back to my TV? Is it all just about me? Or did I make my decision simply to keep my child happy? I mean, even though it's going to cause other problems within our family. Or when I'm making every effort to apply wisdom at work, am I choosing right even when it means more work for me? Am I choosing right even when it means more work for my team? Am I choosing right even when it might cause financial loss? You see, the blessing for you may not come in the immediate outcomes of wise decision-making. It may not even be seen as a blessing by the person most directly impacted by the decision. But when we choose wisdom over ease, we can trust. We can trust that God will bring the blessing as we've all been studying this all year. It may come in the form of trial or suffering, but he says, Peter said, if you, when you do what is right and you suffer for it patiently, and you patiently endure it, this finds favor 
with God. The greatest blessings will be in how God transforms us through suffering and ultimately the blessings that we will receive in for doing what is right, resulting in his praise that one day we all may have the opportunity to hear the phrase, well done, good and faithful servant. That's a phrase I can, I can wait for that. Then as we're making every effort to add to our saving faith knowledge, it's not only about the blessing that we receive, but it's also the glory that we can bring to God because wisdom is designed to bring glory to God. Think about it in the re- in, throughout Solomon's life. As Solomon sought to exercise the knowledge of God, he chose to do so in ways that would please God. Solomon's wisdom, even though greater than anyone else on the earth, did not lead him to choose a life of self-sufficiency. Solomon chose to bring others in to help him in as many areas as possible to include officials and deputies with specific responsibilities within Israel. Think of it like that was Solomon's cabinet. But how do we know that that pleased God? Well, in this case, because they were God's chosen people and God's people prospered under the rule of Solomon, we know that God was pleased. Solomon also sought to help specifically for the purpose of glorifying God himself. And so we are called to seek help in ways that please God. It said, But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side. There is neither adversary nor misfortune. Behold, I intend to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. As the Lord spoke to David my father, saying, Your son whom I will set on your throne in your place, he will build a house for my name. From God's blessing of Solomon, which is seen here where he says, my God has given me rest on every side, Solomon's wisdom, his knowledge was then applied to seek God's glory for the kingdom. Even before he would build a house for himself. And this project was a mighty one and one worthy of the king to complete. But let's look at how Solomon Proceeded. And I don't have time enough to go through all of the scripture, but we can see how this played out. Solomon didn't go to war in order to go get all the things that he needed for the temple. Rather, he developed the relationships that would be a blessing to all. Solomon shared the real goal of the project to build a house for God, the God of Israel. He didn't decide to manipulate his neighbors, he didn't manipulate King Hiram to get what he wanted. And then Solomon decided to share in the labor. He sent his servants to work right alongside King Hiram's. He didn't ask of others what he wasn't willing to do himself. And Solomon then took on the cost of the project himself. He did not demand the lumber. He did not demand the labor at no cost. He says, I'm going to glorify God for this. And so when you ask for help of others, do you serve them? so that they're a part of the blessing? Or do we seek to use them, to manipulate them in a way of getting help for our own blessings? Ask yourself, which one do you think brings God the glory? And Solomon's skillful application of knowledge did not only bring God glory because of Solomon's work, but also because of how others viewed the wisdom of Solomon. Both within the work And for those looking from outside, we can see how it drew others to the Lord. And for us, that means that we're to make every effort in growing in knowledge in a way that would draw others to seek and obey God. 
We saw this within God's own people. When Solomon completed the temple, he brought the Ark of the Covenant into the temple. He didn't miss the opportunity to share the commands of God with the people of Israel so that they then might share in the glorifying of their God. And when we see, when we are seeking to apply our knowledge for God's glory, how well do we tell our story? Do we have a story that says, Amazing me? or a story that cries out, amazing grace. Solomon's wisdom also brought those even from far away to be able to see what had happened and to be able to walk. Solomon's wisdom brought those from other places. He brought others. As it said, Now when the queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with difficult questions. Then she said to the king, It's a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you to set you on the throne of Israel. In your life, in our church, God's words call us to this purpose for how we might apply our knowledge. He tells us, whether then you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And I discuss that verse many times in counseling, but we also need to consider God's glory in the verses that follow in 32 and 33. We're called not to be a stumbling block to those outside the church or inside the church, not to seek our own profit, but the profit of many and nothing more important than the application of wisdom as a path so that others might be saved. And so the questions we must ask about how we are using our God-given wisdom Am I making wise choices? Am I making choices for my glory or for the glory of God? And even when my goal is to please God, am I seeking help in a way that pleases God? Or am I choosing to manipulate and use others to achieve my goal, saying that it's for God? And then, is my skillful application of knowledge drawing others to Christ? uh, Am I a stumbling block? Or will others be saved? Because we don't always get everything right, no matter how wise we are. And that's why the final truth that I want us to see from the life of Solomon is that even wise people can sometimes make foolish decisions. For all the good that Solomon did, for even the wisest man on earth, including those of us who think we're the wisest man on earth, uh, it only took one foolish decision to ruin everything. Because the desires that ignore God's commands lead to sin. For all the wisdom of Solomon, when Solomon ignored the very commands of God, his foolish decision led him into sin. Look what it says. King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the sons of Israel, you shall not associate with them, nor shall they associate with you, For they will surely turn your heart away after their gods. And so as a result of this, because of this, unwise choices then lead to loss. Now the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods. But he did not observe what the Lord had commanded, so the Lord said to Solomon, Because you have done this, and you have not kept my commandment, you have not kept my statutes, which I have commanded you, 
I will surely, surely tear the kingdom from you, and I will give it to your servant. God's warnings would all come to pass as the nation of Israel followed its king into sin and separation from their God and finally into exile. But my final point here is not to leave you with simply a dark warning, but also to point us to God's faithfulness and the love for his children. Because despite all the failures, none of this would stop God's plan to send his son. With all of his wisdom, God sent his son with all of Christ's wisdom to bring Christ's blessing upon others, that Christ might glorify God by his willingness to suffer and die because of the knowledge that he had that there was no other way. And so as we seek to make every effort to add to our saving faith knowledge, my prayer is that the example of Solomon would point us ultimately to Christ and that we would seek to ask God for knowledge, knowing he's the source of truth and we see it in his Son that we seek to bless others through God's knowledge because Christ has been a blessing to us. And we give God, God all the glory by applying his knowledge because that was the very heart of Christ, to glorify his Father. And we must also recognize that we are never so wise that we're not tempted to make foolish choices. We must always turn back over and over again to ask God for his wisdom. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, God, we come before you today. Lord, I pray that you would give us humble hearts to come to you asking for wisdom. Lord, that we might choose you and you alone. And Lord, through all the ways that you bless us, that we might be a blessing to others. Lord, I pray that through this, as you transform our hearts, Lord, that your name would be glorified. And Lord, that that would pour out into our community, that others would see through your knowledge in our lives, Lord, the impact on us and that it would draw others just as you drew Queen Sheba to see Solomon. Lord, that you may draw our neighbors right here in the north end to come and see your glory in this place because of your truth. And now, Lord, walk with us as we continue through this, sur- through this summer, Lord, wanting to choose you in each and everything that we do. Father, we love you and praise you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.